there are studies that show that people who are cared for by empathic healthcare professionals have less pain, less depression, less anxiety, improved immunity, and faster rates of wound healing. So why wouldn't we be invested in empathy as a patient safety strategy? Welcome back to Talking Health, a podcast where we explore the big health issues facing our communities. On this podcast, you'll hear from some of the world's leading health researchers, community organisations and people with lived experience about the advancements we're making in health to transform the well-being of our communities at each stage of life. I'm Professor Deborah Anderson, the Dean of Health at the University of Technology, Sydney, and the founder and director of the Women's Wellness Research Collaborative. I've spent my career dedicated to supporting people and particularly women after cancer to implement sustainable lifestyle changes to get the most out of life. Today on the podcast, I have the pleasure of welcoming distinguished professor Tracy Levitt-Jones, the Associate Dean of Teaching and Learning at the Faculty of Health here at University of Technology, Sydney, and the Head of School of Nursing and Midwifery. Tracy is recognised as a world-leading nursing and healthcare researcher and is responsible for establishing the UTS Empathy Initiative Research Group and the UTS Research-Inspired Pedagogy Practice and Educational Design Group, both of which are transforming the outcomes for patients in our communities. Welcome, Tracy. I am so thrilled to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Debbie. It's an absolute delight to spend some time with you and talk about topics that I think are so important to healthcare and to education. I'd like to start our conversation today by talking about empathy. What is empathy and is it something we all have? Well, you know, Debbie, there are hundreds and thousands of definitions of empathy in the literature. And we often refer to it as something like walking in someone's shoes. But in reality, it's so much more than that. It's generally agreed that there's two main types of empathy, state and trait empathy. And most people, fortunately, are hardwired with the capacity for empathy. And that's referred to as trait empathy. But what I'm most interested in is state empathy, because that changes and it can be influenced by environment, experience, and importantly, education. There is a professor of bioethics called Jody Halpern that uses a quote that I firmly believe in and often say, and Jody suggests that empathy without action is not empathy. And I completely agree. Empathy is so much more than a feeling. It's not sympathy. It's not pity. And for healthcare professionals, empathy drives the way we communicate, the way we interact with people and the way we care for patients. What we know is that few healthcare interventions have as much impact on a person's physical and emotional well-being as empathy. Empathy is the basic component of therapeutic relationships and a key factor in patients' definitions of high-quality care. And that's why I started to become interested in it. Fabulous. And aren't we lucky to have you here talking to us today about the topic? When you started your research, it was more than 10 years ago. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey to date um, and some of your research in this area? So I became interested in the notion of empathy in kind of a roundabout way. My primary focus previously as a clinician and now as an academic is patient safety and wellbeing. So about a decade ago, I began to explore the link between empathic healthcare interactions and patient safety because there's numerous studies that show that 
empathic healthcare professionals are more invested in patient safety and the care they provide is more meticulous, they're more diligent and patients that receive their care are much safer. In fact, there's over 200 studies that show the relationship between empathic healthcare interactions and people's physical and psychosocial wellbeing. There are studies that show that people who are cared for by empathic healthcare professionals have less pain, less depression, less anxiety, improved immunity and faster rates of wound healing. So why wouldn't we be invested in empathy as a patient safety strategy? But of real concern to me is an enigma. And that is the people who need empathy the most are the least likely to experience it. Marginalised and vulnerable groups such as older people, people with a disability or mental illness, Aboriginal people, those who don't speak English are often stigmatised and are much less likely to experience empathic healthcare interactions. And while we know that there's been more than a 40% reduction in empathy levels in the general community over the last 40 years, as an educator and a researcher, I'm particularly concerned by the results of studies that show that medical and nursing students' empathy levels can decline by up to 50% during the period of enrolment in an undergraduate nursing or medical degree. So it was these issues that drove my interest in teaching and researching empathy. And then when I came to UTS, I began to work with like-minded colleagues, really kindred spirits, and we formed the Empathy Initiative Research Group. And the research approaches and methodology we, methodologies we employ are diverse, but we all have a shared belief in the power and potential of empathy to change lives and improve the quality of care we provide to patients and clients and residents. And I've often heard you say that empathy is about walking in someone else's shoes. And this is something you've made a reality with the Virtual Empathy Museum. What is the Virtual Empathy Museum and how does it work? So the Virtual Empathy Museum is a repository of open access, evidence-based curriculum resources that we collected and created and curated, and they're designed to enhance healthcare students and clinicians' empathy skills. Its development was funded by an Australian Technology Network grant in 2018, and we've actually received a number of awards for the museum. It's a unique, engaging and experiential resource that uses the architecture of a virtual tour, virtual journeys and virtual experiences. It's actually divided into seven rooms. So on the left-hand side, as a learner enters the museum, they would see three humanities rooms. So a, a film room, a reading room and an art room. And on the right-hand side is more the experiential rooms. So there is a simulation room, a digital storytelling room, a meditation room and a resource room. And each of the rooms provide a set of authentic learning and teaching resources that can be used in creative ways to enhance learners' empathy skills. And there are also educator resources such as simulation toolkits and facilitator guides, reflection and discussion questions and evaluation instruments. The key thing about the museum is that many of the resources were co-designed with community members and healthcare consumers, and they have been rigorously evaluated. 
So Tracy, how is the virtual empathy museum being used in practice and where? Well, the resources in the museum are used by educators and clinicians and students across the world. One example is Haya's story. It is one of the co-designed digital stories in the museum, and it's become an integral component of orientation programs for staff employed by many refugee health services across New South Wales and beyond. This digital story really challenges the stereotypical views of asylum seekers and refugees that are too often perpetuated by the media. In the Virtual Empathy Museum, we also have a cultural empathy simulation, and that's used by many universities. It's also a mandatory education requirement for a number of local health districts. This is particularly important as there is clear evidence that people from non-English speaking backgrounds experience twice as many adverse events when hospitalised as people who speak English. Nearly 33% of adverse events will occur. This includes medication errors, poor pain management and incorrect investigations and treatments. So the cultural empathy simulation was designed to address that. It can be used as an immersive 2 or 3D simulation or online. And it was developed with clients from the migrants and refugee health services. It takes participants on a journey where they assume the role of a person who's become unwell while traveling in a foreign country. They're admitted to a community hospital where no one speaks English or is able to explain the care being provided. Because this simulation was co-designed with people from refugee backgrounds, the situation, the environment and the interactions are authentic and engaging. It captures participants' attention and it challenges them to transfer what they've learned to the care they provide to, the, to people who do not speak English. And the impact of this simulation has been extensively researched with consistent evidence of attitudinal shifts and clinical impact. That sounds fabulous, Tracy. And is this something just available to the UTS health students or health nursing students? Or is this something that our outside listeners who listen from across the world and Australia, um, if they were interested in looking at it, could access and, and view? Debbie, it's open access resource. It's been used by many people in Australia and internationally by universities and by clinical settings. And in fact, just this year, we've had over 2 million hits on the Empathy Museum. Well, congratulations. And how would they um, find that? What would be the, uh, the address that they'd go to? You can actually just Google Virtual Empathy Museum. A good resource for uh, not only uh, the University of Technology, Sydney, but also health professionals around the world. Tracy, empathy is just one of your areas of research and teaching. Ask a busy person. Can you tell us a little bit about your other areas of focus and how the school is adapting to address some of the latest research? Thanks, Debbie. So I was employed as Professor of Nursing Education and my key focus is evidence-based education. So my program of research focuses on evaluating the effectiveness of curricular interventions and importantly, examining the impact of healthcare education on clinical practice and patient outcomes. So as you mentioned earlier, I lead the research inspired pedagogy practice and educational design group, which includes nursing and midwifery academics who have a shared interest in evidence-based education. And our research is informed by and informs our educational practice. 
So one example of how our research is used to inform teaching is in the field of patient safety education. So researchers from UTS and a number of partner universities designed a patient safety competency framework in 2018, and we used a modified Delphi approach. This framework provides the scaffold for our own curriculum here at UTS, as well as more than half of the universities in Australia and some in New Zealand who are using the framework for the same reason. The patient safety competency framework was also used to create the patient safety for nursing students website, which includes a patient safety quiz. And we use the quiz results to evaluate and compare an international cohort of nursing students patient safety knowledge. We then used what we learnt from that evaluation to develop educational resources and patient safety e-learning modules. And they are now being used by thousands of students each year. That is absolutely amazing. And to think of the influence that that pedagogy research is having uh, for nursing schools around and midwifery schools around Australia is uh, very exciting. The School of Nursing and Midwifery is a highly ranked, highly sought after, but a very big school and covers so much ground in terms of research. What are some of the other health issues you and your team are addressing at the moment? So you're right, Debbie. Our school has a wide range of incredible researchers, and it would probably take me hours to tell you about them and the work they do. So just a, a few examples. Mark Fry is our Professor of Critical Care, and she holds a conjoint position with Northern Sydney Local Health District. Mark has received numerous awards for her research in advanced nursing practice and pain management, and Mark is currently leading an NHMRC grant focused on the safety and quality of emergency nursing care. Professor Jane McGuire is the Deputy Head of School of Research in our school, and she's recognised as, internationally recognised as a leading stroke genetics researcher. She leads the Genetics of Stroke Functional Outcome Network, which investigates the biological mechanisms of stroke recovery. Kathleen Baird is Professor of Midwifery and Director of the Centre for Midwifery, Child and Family Health. And Kathleen's main research areas are in the area of family and domestic violence, vulnerability and cultural and linguistically diverse communities. Associate Professor Christine Catling is an NHMRC Research Fellow and she's conducting a five-year randomised control trial examining the relationship between attendance at clinical supervision workshops and burnout, sick leave and attrition in the midwifery workforce. Such an important area. And lastly, Michelle Rumsey is the director of the WHO Collaborating Centre for Nursing, Midwifery and Health Development. Under Michelle's leadership, more than 60 projects have been conducted in 25 countries across the South Pacific region. And these projects focused primarily on capacity building and improving population health. And Michelle was awarded an Order of Australia this year for her service to nursing and healthcare policy. So I am consistently in awe of and inspired by the researchers and the academics I work with in the School of Nursing and Midwifery. They're an amazing group with absolute commitment to making a difference. Well, thank you, Tracy. And there's no doubt that the University of Technology School of Nursing and Midwifery is doing some amazing work to help improve the health outcomes for people in our communities and across the globe. 
Tracy, thank you so much for being my guest on Talking Health today and for giving us an insight into this very important work. Thanks for having me, Debbie. Today, I've been speaking with distinguished professor Tracy Levitt-Jones, the Acting Associate Dean of Teaching and Learning and the Head of School of Nursing and Midwifery at the University of Technology, Sydney. You've been listening to Talking Health by the University of Technology, Sydney, and you can find us at uts.edu.au. 